What's up, everybody? Oh, my goodness. Is it even possible y'all look even better this week than you did last week? Absolutely amazing. Give yourself a round of applause, all of y'all in the building. Except for those of you who are wearing green and gold. I mean, you know, but I appreciate y'all being here because what that says is you're ready to repent and you just brought it all with you. And so it's okay. We'll have time for you to get that right today in Jesus' name. Amen. But guys, you guys look fantastic. In fact, I dare you to turn to the person next to you, behind you, in front of you. Tell them, hey, it's good to see you and you looking good today. Go ahead and do that right now. That's right. That's right. Don't be mean to the Green Bay Backer fans in the room. It's all good. Hey, to all of our friends and family online, oh my goodness, we miss you so much. Please let us know that you're good and your family is healthy. We can't wait to see you in the building once again, but anyway, until we do, we hope that you're doing the right thing, you're staying smart, and you're staying safe, and we appreciate you tuning in with us, whomever you are, wherever you are all over the world. And listen, if this is your first time, your first time in a long time, you've caught us right in the middle of a series uh, that our teaching team put together called God's Plan. And a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Eric, our executive pastor, talked about God's plan for our life is to listen to him. How many of y'all know it's important to listen to Jesus? Because there's some things that we do right, but then there's some things that we do wrong. And that has just been echoing in my head what Pastor Eric taught us a few weeks ago. Maybe I'm wrong, right? Last week, I talked about God's plan for our life is unity in the body. There's so much more we can do together than divide it, right? And this week, everybody, God's led me to Acts chapter 11 where we're going to talk about God's plan for our life, which is uh, courageous conversations. What's it like for us to have courageous conversations, all right? And to start our time together today, uh, I want to share with you some posts uh, from children being brutally honest. You understand? All right. This first mom, her name is Chris. Her daughter said to her, Mom, you need to fix my hair before we go. The son says to his little sister, you don't have to look nice. Look at mom, see? (laughs) That brother is brutally honest. Yeah. This next mom, uh, Christy, was talking about her child, talking to her daddy. He said, uh, Daddy, your hair is growing in the wrong direction. It's going back in your head instead of out. (laughs) That's pretty tough. I'm sure the dad didn't realize that was happening. Yeah. Uh, Louise finishes us up and having breakfast with her child, and the the kid says, look, it's a picture of mama before she got saggy. I'm just going to leave that right there. Yeah. Now, everybody, why are these posts so funny, right? It's because kids have no filter, right? I mean, in their little minds, you know, they're like, well, I mean, we all looking at the same thing, right? And so if you can see what I can see, We ought to be able to talk about it openly and honestly, right? And it's really cool. There's such a freedom in being able to tell that level of truth without a filter. Uh, I mean, you know, it may not feel good, but at least you know you stand with folk. You understand what I'm saying? And in the case of children, there is an innocent of thought process when they communicate. Um, And of course, that needs to be molded and matured. But the good thing about it is it's raw, it's real, and it's authentic. Amen? But... Eventually, everybody, what happens to kids? Well, 
we eventually teach them to be inauthentic with themselves, their feelings, and the world around them. And then eventually we grow up not willing to have real conversations with ourselves or with other people out of fear of how people will react. Fear of if it will lead to greater conflict. Fear of, well, you know, what's the use of talking about it anyway? I mean, that's just the way they are. That's just the way he is. That's just the way she is. That's just the way the world is. And what will a conversation really do to change things anyway, right? Does that sound familiar to anybody? Anybody ever felt that way online or in the building, right? But everybody, what would happen if we were willing to have courageous conversations again? You remember like we did when we were young people? What would happen um, if we were able to enter into more of an authentic relationship with people? I want to ask you, you ever been in a situation where you had a real encounter with God? I mean, you had an encounter like you had a vision. I mean, you pray about a situation and God literally spoke to you, either audibly or in the silence of your own heart, right? And, and it was one of those situations that you knew it was Jesus. Without question, anybody in the room, hopefully I got some, yeah, yeah, online, you, yeah, yeah. Or maybe using a word, time of word meditation, meditating in the word, right? And as soon as you came out of your time of meditating in the world, you got a text message or you got an email with something that confirmed from somebody that confirmed exactly what you were just meditating about. Anybody ever experienced that before? And what's crazy about it is they had absolutely no idea what you were doing right before you came out, right before you see that message, right? And um, the thing about the revelation you received from Jesus was it's pushing you to stretch outside of what's comfortable or normal or convenient for you. You may have got a vision where it's literally pushing you to move, like physically move, right? Your family and you're away from your friends into a whole new location. Or it's, 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 it's pushing you to connect with a different group of people that you're used to kind of hanging out with. Or it's pushing you to bring in to your company or work with folks who aren't Christians. And so, of course, you, you're fired up because you heard from Jesus, right? And so what do you do? You share this revelation with family and friends and loved ones. And when you share it, they look at you, twist it, and they take a step back like you contaminated with COVID. Because in their mind, they're like, uh, what you talking about? We ain't talked about that. We ain't even prayed about that, right? Because in their mind, these are people who love you. They've prayed with you. Some of these people uh, on these matters, they have earnestly, they want the best for you, right? And many times, these same people who really love you, who really have your heart, they will speak to you. They will try to discourage you. They will try to dissuade you from moving on what you know Jesus told you to do, what you know God's will for your life is, based not upon the Bible, not upon godly wisdom, uh, uh, not upon what God said, but solely based upon their own belief system, their own negative experiences, and their own preferences for your life. Do I got any real people in the building and online? Yeah, yeah. And so everybody, did you know sometimes the most difficult people to have courageous conversations with aren't the people who don't look like you or, or who don't know you, but they are the people who are the most connected to you. Sometimes the most difficult people to have courageous conversations with aren't the people who don't know you or look like you, but they are the people who are the most connected to you. 
And that's what I want to examine today for all of my friends in the room and online. I want to examine what would it look like for us to have those courageous conversations, everybody. And I'm not talking about on social media. I'm not talking about with folks or against folks on different sides of the political aisle, right? I'm not even talking about folks who don't look like you or don't know you, but I'm talking about what would it look like to have courageous conversations with folks who you're familiar with, folks who you're married to, folks who you're seriously dating, folks who you know they have mindsets and mentalities about different people or different races and ethnicities. They have biases about folks because of their political affiliation, right? And it's really bothering you because these are not necessarily bad people, right? I mean, you love these people. You desire and you value the relationship with these folks. But the thing about it is you recognize that there are some areas with their mindset and their belief systems, uh, they got some blind spots in some areas that are not based in Scripture. And, And can I make a note here and say, everybody, all of us have those blind spots, right? And so I want to show you today how Peter gives us a blueprint on how to navigate how to have these courageous conversations without getting confrontational when he himself had to deal with this very same issue in Acts chapter 11. Now, to tee this up, everybody, you remember last week in Acts chapter 10, I was telling you how Peter was hanging out in his boy Simon's house in Joppa, right? And so Peter's on the rooftop. He's chilling, right, in prayer. And the Bible says that while he was praying, he received a vision from Jesus, that there was a sheet, a large sheet lowered from heaven with all types of birds and animals and reptiles on it. And Jesus was like, hey, yo, Peter. Kill all these animals and eat them right now. And Peter was like, uh, he looked at the sheet. He was like, uh, Jesus, I'm Jewish. I don't eat bacon and sausage. I don't eat shrimp and lobster. You understand? I, I don't eat gator tails. I don't eat that. He said, I don't eat anything that our Jewish customs say is unclean. And Jesus clapped right back at Peter. And he said, Peter, don't call anything unclean that God has made clean. And you remember, we talked about it last week, this wasn't just a figurative, excuse me, a literal message that Jesus was saying to Peter, but this was also figurative. Because in the Jewish custom, not only did they deem certain foods unclean, but they also deemed certain people unclean. And so if you wasn't the chosen Jewish people, then they deemed you and classified you as an unclean person. And Jesus was like, I need you to understand, Peter, that when I went to the cross to die and shed my blood for the sins of the world, I didn't just die for the chosen Jewish people. I died for all people. See, my blood is sufficient. Yeah, it's sufficient to heal every pain, to cleanse everything, to connect everybody and everything that was so-called detached and separate from me, even those people who you deem unclean. And so Peter was like, okay, I got the message. And so he went and he connected with a quote-unquote unclean dude by the name of Cornelius. He was a Roman soldier and his entire household in Caesarea, right? Somebody say Caesarea. And so he's in Caesarea, preaches the gospel to this entire household. And everybody, the Bible says that the entire household received the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were baptized that day and their lives were transformed forever. And so it's crazy how he had this phenomenal Jesus experience in uh, Acts chapter 10, but over in Acts chapter 11, he gets back to the crib, back in Jerusalem, and all his friends and family 
heard about what happened in Caesarea, and they jumped him. Let me show you what they said. And that's chapter 11. They said, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of the uncircumcised men and ate with them? All right, now stop right there. Now, everybody, did anybody catch what just happened there? Did y'all see what I just saw? I wonder. No, you didn't, did you? Okay, let me help you. Uh, quick question. Uh, where did the Bible say that uh, the believers, Peter's people were? What town? Jerusalem, Judea, right? Now, I just said this. Where did Peter minister to them folk with Cornelius in his household? Where was he? Caesarea. Yeah, yeah, online, you, you know. Listen, do y'all know how far Jerusalem is from Caesarea? It's 76 miles away. Here's my question. How in the heck did them people in Jerusalem find out so fast what Peter was doing in Caesarea? How'd that happen? I mean, listen, this is 1 AD. Is this clicking now? Right? 1 AD. Wasn't no cell phones. Wasn't nobody calling people, texting people. Young folk. What no internet, no Snapchat, no hopscotch, no hip hop, none of that. Right? The kids like, no Snapchat, no TikTok, ah! None of that. Right? But here's what happened, everybody. The Bible says that uh, in Acts chapter 10, after Peter had shared the gospel with the household of Cornelius, the Bible says that they asked him to stay a few extra days and hang out with them. And I can imagine that was pretty exciting for those folks who not only heard the gospel for the first time and embraced who Jesus was and what Jesus did and how he paid the price that we couldn't pay, uh, how he lived the life that we couldn't live, died the most painful, excruciating death known to man to give us an opportunity to be and see Jesus and and our God, our Father one day. I can imagine they were excited about that. But then... Not only that, but to have an eyewitness, a dude that really hung with Jesus for all three years of his ministry, got to be with him every single day. I can imagine they were thrilled. They probably was peppering Peter with questions, right? What was it like to be with Jesus when he wasn't preaching? I mean, what was it like to be touched physically by God on earth, right? I mean, the Bible says he was fully man and fully God. Was he really fully man? I mean, did he fart in his sleep? I mean, what? tell me some stuff. Right? I'm sorry. Just pray for your associate pastor. I promise I'm going to be saved one day. I promise. All right? Yeah. And so, everybody, the real point I'm making is that even though Peter stayed a few extra days, do y'all know the journey from Caesarea to uh, Jerusalem would take on foot? Somebody say on foot. Because, you know, they did have horses and camels back in the day, but that was for the rich folks. Yeah, and the, and the apostles, and they, they weren't rich people. It probably was at least a 24-hour journey on foot without taking breaks from Caesarea to Jerusalem. So I teased my wife yesterday. She was in here. Uh, they probably uh, didn't walk to Jerusalem. They walked. Do I get any walkers in Beloit? Do y'all walk? That's like walk, jog. You know what I'm talking about? You ever seen any walkers in, in your community? You know, they don't, they, don't, they don't walk like this. 
No, they walk, you know. They just... They were getting it in. So I'm sure somebody walked from Caesarea to Jerusalem when they found out what Peter was doing and they told all the folks, because the Bible says in uh, Acts chapter 11, verse one, that the news spread all throughout Judea. And so this thing spread like wildfire what Peter was doing. This is a serious deal, right? And so when Peter finally gets home, man, his friends, the other apostles, his family members, they jump him. And in verse two, they was like this. Boop. There it is. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, Peter, you've been drinking? You see it? Yeah. See it right there? Yeah. So you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? In other words, what they were saying to us, bro, you hung with Gentiles? You ate with Gentiles? You stayed with Gentiles? Bruh, what are you doing? That's not what we do. Those folks are unclean. You can't trust them people. What are you doing? Right, they got all over him. And everybody, it put Peter in position to have to have a courageous conversation with these folks. And here's what Peter said, and these are the keys for us, for my note takers, to help us have courageous conversations when we're facing people that feel like we kind of stepping outside of where they think we ought to be walking in. The first thing that Peter did was he reassured them through his prayer life. He reassured them through his prayer life. Let me show you in scripture. Look at Acts chapter 11, verse 4. It says, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. He said, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and we can just stop right there. Because how many of y'all know uh, it's real hard uh, to have an argument with, with, you know, with somebody, you know, with your spouse or with your business partner or with your best friend, and they come back with it. Well, you know, you know, I prayed about it, and the Lord told me to do it. What you going to do with that? You going to fight with them and Jesus? Good luck. All right? And everybody, many times... Uh, when people are trying to have a, con a courageous conversation with you and you're trying to have a courageous conversation with them and, and they're kind of pointing out some things that they don't necessarily agree with and the areas in which you're moving in and walking in and decisions that you're making, a lot of times they just want to be reassured that you're just now out here making decisions haphazardly on your own, that you're not leaning on your own understanding, but that you are taking these issues seriously and laying them before the feet of Jesus in prayer. And everybody, when you do that, you reassure folk that, okay, they're not just going off on the deep end on me. I may not necessarily agree with who they're voting for in this election. I may not necessarily agree with who my daughter is dating his new or her new friend. You understand? But as long as I know that they're taking this before Jesus, that Jesus is in the center of this and not them, I know eventually he will position them to where he wants them to ultimately be. Come on, somebody, right? And so he reassured them through his prayer life. But the second thing he did was he disarmed them through how he was led through his personal testimony. Disarmed them through how he was led through his personal testimony. Can I tell y'all, you know, people don't like to be called out or pointed out or where they're missing it or when they're off course, you know, especially in conflict. 
Uh, yeah, I've been married for almost 25 years. Remember, my wife stepped to me talking about, now here's where you were wrong. The conversation is over. I don't want to hear that. Right? All my married people just going to leave me all by myself. Where my amens at? Thank you. Thank you. Don't leave me by myself. Right? But everybody, when you can speak from a first-person perspective, it's amazing how that changes the dynamic of the conversation. Right? When you speak from the first person, now people can receive it because most people, what I just say? Most people, everybody, uh, they can see themselves in your examples when you speak from the first person. Here's where I messed up. Here's what I try to do when I'm in those situations to try to make sure that I don't fall off kilter, right? And it's amazing how when you do that, you disarm people immediately because now people don't feel like they're being attacked. And when folks don't feel like they're being attacked, their ears are open and their hearts are attentive to listen and receive. And everybody, that's exactly what Peter did when his people came at him. He was like, listen, I know y'all hot under the collar with me with this thing, but I need to tell you what happened. Verse 5 says this. It says, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheep being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. Watch this. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. This is the part where I told you Peter was like, I don't eat bacon and sausage. I don't do that. That's unclean stuff. He's telling his friends this, right? And then this is where Jesus comes back and says, hey, call nothing unclean that the Lord God has made clean. He's telling all his friends everything that happened. And then he comes back in verse 10 and he says, listen, guys, this, this didn't just happen to me. This wasn't something that I imagined. This just didn't happen to me one time or two times. This happened three times. And then it was all pulled up to heaven again. It's amazing, everybody, how you can disarm people when you're led uh, through your own testimony, when you keep it in the first person. Because can I tell you something, everybody? Uh, people can disagree with your opinion. People can dispute you about their own perspective of a thing. Maybe you got a perspective, but I got a perspective too. But it's darn near impossible for a person to dispute where God is leading you through your own personal testimony. Amen? Right? Everybody, can I say this to you? Um, you know, when our, when our people come at us, again, th- these are goodwill people, right? We're assuming the best of these folks. Uh, a lot of times they're coming at us out of their own perspective and their own feelings and their own experiences, right? And, and, and let me make this statement because I think this is important. Everybody, our feelings are real. Our experiences are real. But my question is, does that always mean that they're really true. I want you to ponder that online for a minute as I share this next story. And I've shared this story a couple of times, uh, but I want to share it again because I think it's really appropriate uh, for what we're talking about today. There's a story about this little boy and his mom. This little boy in the Chicagoland area, uh, his mom took him uh, to this amusement park uh, for the very first time. Little boy had never been there before. Little boy is having a time of his life. Right? As the little boy is just kind of grinning from ear to ear and hanging out on the rail waiting for the next ride, he suddenly feels this sharp pain in his forearm. And when he yanks his forearm back, he looks at his forearm, and his forearm is covered with uh, white pus where uh, the cigarette butt that he was burned with uh, burned through his skin, and all he saw was white pus and blood. Looks up, and he looks into the face of this mean elderly man. 
And the man had the look on his face as if to say, he didn't say a word, but the man had a look on his face as if, as if to say, I don't want you here. What are you doing here? And you bet not make a sound and scream or it's going to be worse. That was the look that the man gave the little boy. The little boy, everybody, was only seven years old. The man was around 65 to 70 years old. Now, ladies and gentlemen in the building and online, uh, can we all agree that what that elderly man did to that innocent little boy who never did anything to him, can we all agree that that was a dastardly, mean, borderline evil uh, practice that that man did to that little boy? Can we all agree with that? Is, is that a, that's a safe assumption, right? Okay. But what I didn't tell you about the story is that the elderly man was a white man and a seven-year-old boy was me. I got some feelings about what that man did to me, ruined my entire day. And I could take that experience and say, this is exactly why black people and white people don't need to hang out because that's exactly who white people are. And people could maybe look at my experience and say, you know what? Your feelings are true. Your experience are true. But does that necessarily make what I'm feeling and experiencing holistically true? Because can I say this, everybody? The truth is, I have had 10 times more positive experiences with my white brothers and sisters than I've had negative ones. The truth is, ladies and gentlemen, there are idiots and imbeciles of every race, creed, and color. That's the truth. And the truth is, the majority of people, particularly those who have the love of Jesus in their heart, are good people, kind people, people who love, people who serve. And can I say this to everybody in the room? I've had more white people in my life love me, serve me, bless me, open doors for me, put their name on the line for me and my family. And why have they done that? Because they recognize that Jesus Christ did the same thing for them. And so I'm going to extend that grace, that love, and that favor to somebody else. Yeah. That's our job as Christians, right? And so I want to say this because I think it's important. Sometimes we have experiences. And because of those experiences, we got some strong feelings about those experiences. But the question that we got to ask ourselves is just because we've had experiences and feelings, does that make how we feel universally true. Maybe Jesus is trying to get us to broaden our circle and experience some more things, which leads me to my final point. This is what Peter did. The third thing he did was he encouraged them to see that God's purposes were bigger than their plans. God's purposes were bigger than their plans. I said it last week. What's God's purpose for the church? Unity in the body. And can I tell you, everybody, as long as we continue to stare at our differences, the enemy wins because our differences will only divide us. All right? But, church, if we can stare at what unites us, 
the things that we have in common. I said it before, I'll say it again. There's so much more that unites us than divides us. And that's the space that we got to operate in. Let me show you what Peter said to his friends. Verse 15 says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them just like he came on us at the beginning. And then I remember what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptizing with the Holy Spirit. Watch this, y'all. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to say that I could stand in God's way? Right? God's purpose. It's got to be bigger than our thoughts, our feelings, and our plans. Peter understood this and he got it. And he got it so profoundly, everybody, that he penned in his own epistle this verse in 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm finishing with this. This is what he said. He says, but you are, somebody say you are, you are. online in the building. Say, I am, I am. yeah, chosen. chosen. Yeah. Remember, early on, Peter was like, Jewish people are chosen. But now... Jesus opened that up for him. Now he says, no, no, no. We all are chosen. And I need somebody to wrap your mind and your heart around this because the world will tell you some other stuff about who you are. The world will try to identify you as this and that and less than and left out and not as good as. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We got to start leaning into who Jesus says we are. And Jesus says, you're chosen. I don't care what that dude said to your sweetheart or what he didn't say. The Bible says you're chosen. You're royal. You're a holy nation. You're special. God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. And ladies and gentlemen, my friends online, We've seen a lot of dark days during these last several months, haven't we? COVID-19, racial, social unrest, unemployment, a lot of mess that the enemy wants us focused on. But it's amazing when we come together as the body of Christ, he's called us out of all of that divisiveness, that division, that separation, and he calls us to walk into God's light. When we walk in the light of the truth of who we are, can I tell you, darkness can't stand in a place that's full of light. It's got to flee. It's got to flee. And that's my prayer for us today, that we can grab hold of these principles. It happens when we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter what we look like, no matter where we're from, no matter what our differences are, it, it, it matters when we come together in our marriages, in our relationships, in our business relationships, as community, right? But I, I, I think it's going to take us to continue to have some courageous conversations. We got to be willing to go a little bit deeper, right? We can no longer stay on the surface and think that when the attack comes, we're going to be able to stand. Our roots have got to be down deep in God's word and with each other. Amen? And when that happens, man, no weapon formed against us shall be able to prosper. Hallelujah.
Let's pray. God, we're grateful for this time in your word. Your word is amazing. You teach us so much. You help us illuminate some stuff that maybe we missed and maybe just kind of got by us or you, you shine a light in areas in our own hearts that are dark and we didn't even know was dark. Help us, Father God, to be real with ourselves, and help us to have these courageous conversations, first with ourselves and you, and then with ourselves with other people who are like-minded. God, we, we, we firmly desire to be who you called us to be, and we desire to be where you called us to be in your purposes versus our own plans. When that happens, we'll see greater victories than we've ever seen before. And God, we'll be able to give your name all the praise and glory and honor. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwire.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.